Welcome to VSB After the Bell. I'm your host, Gianna Chow. VSB, otherwise known as the Vancouver School Board, is located on the ancestral and unceded lands of the Hultmathguiam, Skohomish Ohomeo, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. The district is among the most diverse school systems in Canada, with an annual enrollment of just under 50,000 from kindergarten to grade 12 and adult education students. In today's episode, we look at options for families to consider when beginning or continuing their public school journey. It's that time of year again when we've put away our Halloween decorations and our costumes to get ready for... No, not the holidays, but priority registration for kindergarten. If you have a child who is currently four and turning five next year, you're encouraged to register your child for free into their catchment school between November 1st and January 31st. You can locate your catchment school on vsb.bc.ca. Families also have the option to enroll in a district choice program starting in January. Joining us are four teachers from District Choice Programs. Welcome, everyone. Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Hello, everyone. My name is Melissa Pang, and I'm an early Mandarin bilingual teacher at John Norquay. Um, I've been teaching at Norquay since the program started in 2011. Um, I started teaching in grade one, and now I've moved up to grade four. And um, I'm very happy today to be here and share how wonderful the program is with all of you. Sigali, hello. My name is Mary, and I'm the kindergarten teacher at Hakpai Elementary School. I've been teaching there for three years now, and I'm excited to share about our school. Hello, my name is Alexis Lefebvre. I'm originally from France. After 10 years in web marketing, I became a teacher uh, here in Vancouver. Then I started at Trafalgar Elementary, early French immersion initially for two years, grade six, seven, and grade seven. And then it's gonna be my third year, so five years total, um, with a late French immersion, grade six. My name's Eva Lin. I have been teaching for 14 years, and currently I'm teaching at Maple Grove Elementary for Montessori grade one, two, threes. And before being a teacher, I was an electrical engineer. So let's begin with an overview of the program that you each teach. Um, Many families listening may be new to these concepts. Uh, Melissa, perhaps we can start with Mandarin Bilingual. Yeah, uh, so there are two Mandarin bilingual programs in Vancouver, one at John Norquay and the other one's at Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Um, The one in Norquay is called Early Mandarin Bilingual because we start at kindergarten and go all the way to grade seven. Currently, we have nine classes. When we started in 2011, it was only just three classes, and now we have grown to uh, nine classes. Um, And students from kindergarten to grade three, they learn traditional Mandarin. Um, and in grades four to seven, they learn simplified. And the reason why we decided to do that was it was really important for them to learn both, to be able to do both. So that's why we chose to do that. So for some listeners who may not uh, know, traditional and simplified Chinese is a different way of writing. Right. So the characters, so the traditional characters are what they what they were right from the beginning. And then simplified is when, you know, during the 1960s and they decided to simplify the characters to make it more accessible for everyone. Analogy would be uh, simplified is like an abbreviation mm-hmm. and a traditional is the whole word. Mm, okay, so you can learn abbreviation before you learn what the word is. Right, and right. so they're, they're learning both ways Correct. of Chinese. Correct. 
Um, and then the day is structured, uh, 50% of the subjects are in English and then 50% are in Mandarin. However, all the teachers are bilingual, so they're fluent in both English and Mandarin. And so we use, we use it whenever we can. So uh, you're teaching, um, like, say, math and social studies that would be in Mandarin, too? No, those would be in English. Okay, I because see. Because we found we used to teach math in Mandarin, but we found that math was already hard enough in English. <laughs> <laughs> so if we taught in Mandarin, then it would be harder. So um, so mainly it's Mandarin language arts, arts education um, that we that we use, that we teach in Mandarin. So language in, yeah. Yeah. in, in the Mandarin. Um uh, let's talk to another language teacher. Um, how about you, Alexi? Um, so we have three different schools in Vancouver for the program of late French immersion. It's Seeker, Trafalgar, and Douglas. It's a total. So it's every single. So it's for each school. It's a grade six class and a grade seven class. Uh, so they arrive from multiple different schools um, because uh, in grade six. And they stick together in grade seven. In grade eight, they join the early French immersion uh, students. So basically, they have two years to catch up the French level of the early French immersion student had eight years to do. So this is really important piece to have in mind. Um, so it's a lot of, uh, developing linguistic and learning strategies for motivated students. They have to be motivated and self-motivated. It's, it has to be their choice. Um, because it's, again, it's intensive. We're doing explicit grammar, explicit conjugation, vocabulary, um, what a verb is. They have to learn that to have it quick and we're doing that through song it can be through funny and dynamic activities like uh skits for example so at the beginning of school year in grade six it might be a little bit less funny because you have to learn the vocabulary but quite quickly uh, we try to have more so they can try to uh, write uh, skits based on a topic like like for example i'm gonna give them uh, 20 words or expression about a restaurant. And by the end of the week, they are setting something and they write uh, a skit and they're going to play it in front of the classroom. So lots of activities like that of creations. Trying to make it a little bit more fun rather than just sitting down and memorizing vocabulary. Yes, this is not fun. Yeah. They have to go through that at the beginning, but we try to go away from that as quickly as possible and and we try also to have for example uh, this year i started little buddies with a kindergarten french immersion class mm -hmm. so they um they read french to students who just started french as well like them but in grade six they know how to read so they build on these strategies they've learned up to grade five in the regular program. And, and so they go really fast and they it's really amazing to see within a few weeks, they, they know how to explain things without using or not much English. So 
Uh, um, my son goes to uh, French immersion and he's in grade one. And yes, he's part of the buddy program too. And he often comes home and tells me about his buddy and it's really effective. Yeah, and it's even, with, I would like to add on that. It's like, it's a lot because it's many, many um, highly motivated students with good work habits. Mm -hmm. It's also a different dynamic in late French, in the late French classroom in a way like Whoever is not really organized and they have the adult telling them, organize, reorganize your desk, write on everything on your planner or things like that. Suddenly they see many students around them doing it. Mm. So they can encourage each other instead of being told by the teacher, right. you have to do it this way. Yeah, being influenced by your peers. Positively. Positively, that's right. And then with the buddy system, with the buddy reading, it's also a way for the student, older students to practice yeah. the language, right? And because otherwise they wouldn't be really using it. I mean, I'm usually forcing it on my students mm -hmm. to speak any Mandarin. Yeah. Um, so that's a great way for them. And to reinforce the strategies they can use, like when I went when we did it yesterday, actually. And at one point I just stopped them and like, everyone, I hear English, you're in French immersion. What are our strategies, language strategies to use? And just imagine you're in your country, it's full French. They don't speak English or another language because for many students it's not their second, but their third language. Mm -hmm. So it's something to have in mind as well, all the strategies they can learn. So um, late French immersion. Uh, Mary, how about you? Uh, you teach indigenous focus at ACPE. What does that mean? Um, yeah, so <clears throat> at our school, our philosophy is that we're of one heart and one mind. And what that really means is that at our school, especially within each of our classrooms, we really focus on heart-centered learning and building um empathy and respect for one another. And it's really cool at our school because we are such a small school. The enrollment's usually around 90 students. So when we come together for assemblies or for ceremonies, um, all the children know each other. And it's really cool that they can go year to year and be like, oh, like, and a lot of them are family too, actually. It's really funny. <laughs> As an aside, it's like, or if they're not, and it's really big in indigenous culture that even if someone's just like a family friend, like that's your cousin. If someone's your cousin, that's your sister, your brother. And yeah. Well, how does it differ? Like, what do you learn um, that's different from the mainstream? Classroom? Different from the mainstream. So a big focus for us is definitely having the ceremonies, but also teaching to students cultures. And what I think a lot of people might not realize at our school is that it's not just like the Squamish or Sailtooth or um, Musqueam people. It's actually um, our students are from Indigenous nations all over Turtle Island. And we're also in an urban space. So it's um, somewhat challenging, but also really cool to see how each of these students like cultures and experiences at home. Um, come into the classroom and how we can explore that for each of them. And yeah, we really try our best to indigenize the curriculum as best we can. And that just meaning like we'll learn through um, our indigenous stories. We'll try to take the students out on the land. Um, going up to like Lane Canyon, we did that last year with, we also did like the little buddies, little big buddies. That was really awesome. 
Okay, so um, kind of covering the same curriculum, but more with an Indigenous focus, uh, a lot more I know with Indigenous culture is connecting with the land, maybe more outdoor learning, um, doing a lot of those that you may not see in the more mainstream classroom. Um, how about the uh, families who register for Indigenous Focus? What types of families do you see? So primarily our students are, they're mostly Indigenous families. And although you don't have to be Indigenous to come to our school, but our families, when they come to our school, they're really just hoping for a community and a staff and a program that really just understands their needs. And especially when it comes to integrating those pieces of culture that I was talking about and those those stories and ceremonies and also a bit of the language. Very cool. Um, and for Montessori, Eva, what does that look like and uh, how is that different from the mainstream classroom? So for Montessori, in the Vancouver district, we have three schools. So we have Maple Grove and Renfrew. <laughs> they are the dual track school. So they have the same school. They have the tra traditional classes and the Montessori class. And we have Tai Yi. The whole entire school is Montessori. And the Montessori is for, from K to 7. And for kindergarten, when they come to kindergarten, they everyone's in the same class. And... And after kindergarten, they break it to grade one, two, threes. So at Maple Grove, we have three grade one, two, three classes. And we have another three grade four, five, six classes. And by grade seven, they all come together again um, for grade seven. In terms for Montessori, um, what it looks in the classroom. So it's a, like just like I say, it's a multi-age class. And st st students, they stay with the same teacher for three years. And for those three years, um, as a teacher, you get to understand the students really, really well. And you build extremely strong bonds with the students. And the older students in the classroom, they learn that they are the leaders in the classroom. So they, we practice a lot of leadership skills. They help the younger students. And for younger students, they... They look up to the older students in the classroom. Um, that they ins the older students actually inspire them. So the younger students, they'll look at the older students and say, huh, next year I'm able to do that. The year after, when I grade three, I can do that. So they have something to look forward to every year. It's kind of like a permanent buddy system that the other teachers have yeah, mentioned. Yeah, it's just kind of very similar to yeah. some like some other programs. And one thing we really special about Montessori is we have the prepared environment. So all the materials are set up properly, very orderly, very uh, inviting in the classroom. And there's math area with all the math materials and language material area with all the language materials and cultural area with all the geography, all the science, all the biology, zoology materials. And one thing really different than the traditional class is we don't have a 40 minute block. The whole week we have independent work time. So, for example, in the morning, the whole morning is their independent work time. They can choose what they want to do. And so they learn how to manage their time. They learn how to do planning. And they learn the natural consequences as well if they don't finish certain things within certain time frame. So if they keep pushing it off to until the to, until it's 
the deadline, then they don't have enough time to finish it. So they learn time management at this very young age. So if they're in 40-minute blocks, um, what about recess and lunch? Do yeah, you they, still have that? We do still have recess and lunch because we're in the yeah. public school. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it still follows a bit of a structure. Yeah. Great. Um, so thank you for providing that high-level overview of your program areas. Uh, I'm really curious to know what type of learner then would you recommend for your respective program? For Mandarin, I would say someone that needs a challenge and can be challenged because Mandarin is not a uh, very easy language to learn. Um, and so we need someone that also has a good foundation in English as well, or one language in order to build on another language. Um, but really, I think a child who is has a passion for learning, is highly motivated, and is up for a challenge because learning another language Learning two languages at the same time is not for everyone. Mm -hmm. It's tough. Um, so do they need to have uh, a, a basic knowledge of Mandarin before joining the program, especially in kindergarten? So in kindergarten, no. Um, for kindergarten grade one, uh, they don't need to know any Mandarin at all. But however, in grades two to seven, we do do a Mandarin assessment just to see that they have some basic Mandarin to be able to keep up with the rest of the students in the class. Okay, so you can join the program later on. You can, yes. Okay, yes. if you have some basic knowledge in it, of it. Yes. Okay. Um, Mary, how about you? So I would say that <clears throat> any student would benefit from our program, Indigenous or not, um, at our school self-identity and learning about oneself and culture and traditions is a huge aspect, which I believe benefits all of us, right? Like learning where we come from. So any any child, any student, but especially our Indigenous students who a lot of them don't know where they come from. And yeah, it's really a special opportunity to come to our school where it really is the focus and the teachers and staff are really dedicated to um, helping students learn more about themselves and their heritage. And you can join um, ACPE or an indig the Indigenous Focus Program at any time. You don't have to. There's no prerequisite. You know, if you're interested, it doesn't matter where you come from. If you are interested in this or providing that perspective for your child, you can apply. Yes, you can come at any time and we, we don't turn anyone away ever. Alexi? It's language. and uh, So you're learning two languages at the same time. And... Highly motivated students will be really successful uh, in late French immersion. Um, it, I really recommend like it's coming from a student's choice. They want to learn the language. They want to learn it. So, for example, I had a student. Uh, she was on um, learning French on her own on different apps during COVID. And then she loved it. And so she asked her parents to, to go to French immersion or other students, they want a challenge. Really. I, before this podcast, I had some chat with my students and one of them told me, I just needed a challenge. Mm. So I wanted that, but behind that, um, the challenge is also being able to face uh, some emotions, a roller coaster of emotions at the beginning of the program, yeah, especially. Must, I bet there must be a lot of frustration. Yes, because we can have students, for example, 
who had a lot of extending on their report cards in grade four and five. And suddenly, again, they're going back to baby-ish books, for example, at the beginning of school year. So it cannot be extending uh, at the beginning. And so it's going to be proficient or developing because they are developing a language. That's the thing. And so they have to understand that to be resilient. It's an important part. And to be ready to practice at home and the time management as well, learning time management, uh, they are going to do that. And it's some strategies they're going to do. And to be, one of them told me, uh, we have to be, ready and open-minded about our learning, different ways to learn. Mm. Very insightful. Um, yeah, definitely it sounds like not only uh, do they need to motivate themselves, but there's all these soft skills that you build from um, challenging yourself, being resilient. You said learning how to work hard when you feel like you're not achieving what you're used to achieving. So um, uh, uh, really the, a lot of skills come out of learning a language that you could carry with, that the child could carry with them into the workplace um, as they become an adult. And it's also... Um positive, uh, like I, I think I was saying it earlier, like they're learning from others, positive work habits. Mm -hmm. And it's a really good thing. It's a thing like when I started teaching the program, I didn't think about. And positively being said or sh to see, oh, my friend is doing it this way. Maybe I should do it. That positive influence. And how about you, Eva? Um, I guess for Montessori, I think it's a great fit for every for every child. But so sometimes it's not a good fit for parents because in Montessori classroom, we have a lot of materials. We don't have a lot of worksheets. So as a parent, if you expect to see worksheets coming home all the time, you're probably not going to see that. And if your child is very competitive, you want your child to be very competitive, that is not our environment because that is an environment in the classroom. We all help each other out. We grow together. So we don't want to like... There's no ranking. Yeah, there's no ranking, definitely not. And also if if you're a parent that you're looking for to see the result of your child's learning right away, that is not the environment mm -hmm. because you stay in the Montessori classroom for three years. You, you, you see they become very independent learners. They know how to manage your times by the third year. Mm -hmm. So it takes three years. Mm -hmm. All those soft skills, they need time to develop and time you need to learn those soft skills. So can students enter at any time from K to 7 or is there a recommended time frame when they can join there, Montessori? They can enter any time. But the, if you want to get ultimate result, for example, then it's better to join in grade one. Then you stay three years, the three whole cycle of the program, then you get the best result. Um, so how about assessment? Because clearly there's these extra challenges that you're throwing at these students. Um, and, you know, we have report cards, so you have to teach according to the BC curriculum. Uh, so how do you approach assessment and progression? How is it different from the mainstream methods? Uh, Melissa, we'll start with you. 
Um, to be honest, it's not very different at all. Um, we still try to make it as fun as possible for the students. So we do a lot of projects, um, games and stuff like that. But I mean, we still also have tests as well. Um, so it's not too different from the mainstream. Yeah, I would have to agree for the most part because we are, you know, expected to follow the curriculum and the core competencies. The biggest difference, though, I would say, which I feel many schools are like this as well, many other educators. But my approach with students is that for assessment, I really try to assess um, where the student has started, not necessarily. Well, yes, on the, the the proficiency scale when it comes to the report cards, but I really, really try to focus on where the student has started and if they're making progress for themselves, really individualizing um, their learning journey. Mm. Okay, so yeah, I think that is also part of the the new new curriculum, or I mean, not so new because it's from twenty sixteen, but. Um, having an individualized plan and not just a classroom where you're teaching everyone the same thing you're, or the same way. Um, it's really being flexible and catering to each child differently. I think at our schools too, especially our students, their educational journeys may look different from others in a sense that a lot of our families are coming and going or maybe or maybe in um, transitional housing. So they might just be at our school for a short period. Maybe they've been moving around a lot. Maybe for whichever reason, they went, maybe they went home and they will stay longer for ceremony. They'll stay for like a month. So they might miss a month of school. So really just adjusting our expectations, still having high expectations, of course, but really just, again, like I was saying, meeting the student where they're at and assessing they are learning to see if they're making progress for themselves. Mm -hmm. Likewise. <laughs> <laughs> so it might be a little bit more test at the beginning of late French for making sure all the basics are there. But really quickly, it's like uh, we have rubrics as all teachers across BC. Uh, for example, I'm going to have uh, some portfolios to follow their their learning journey, look where you started and what you are able to do right now, because I have many students, they don't realize that. Uh, so you're teaching them in a different language, um, but do you teach them at a lesser level for other subjects, such as math, for instance, because they have to learn um, another language at the same time? So for mathematics, no. No, uh, I'm doing slightly less uh, when it comes to science and social studies, just for grade six, not grade seven. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that, it's term one is going to be really a focus on uh, French and mathematics. Also, a uh, lot of social emotional learning because mm. emotional regular cursors. So we want to give them some strategies to... Uh, to deal with that. Um, but for mathematics, it's all the curriculum is covered in French though. So again, at the beginning of school year, it's like quickly, okay, all the basic things. And then I'm going to use, when I'm reviewing the vocabulary or teaching it, I'm reviewing the concepts at the same time. And so it's, 
it's how I'm going to do both at the same time. And for other topics, so when it's health, I'm going to do it in English. Let's health and safety. It's like, I have to, yes. So it sounds like um, a little bit of a slower start at the beginning when they introduce because there's just so much that they have to learn. Um, but really at the end when they're graduating elementary, they're at the same pace as their counterparts who've been learning French since the very beginning. And even for the English, because in grade six, late French immersion, there is no English language arts. Um, but... I'm encouraging them as a class to transfer these skills, language skills, to their languages they already know. So, and then I ask them to share their cultures, their, um, yeah, their backgrounds, because it's many, many bank backgrounds in my uh, classroom this year, like more than 10 or 15 uh, families, their first language is not English. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eva, let's turn to you. So I'm really quite intrigued about assessment with Montessori because it's so different from the mainstream classroom. Like you're flexible. You can do what you want in a certain sense, right? With topics and you choose what you want to learn. Um, how do you assess that? Okay. So for some parts, it's kind of similar to the the different, like for French immersion and Mandarin bilingual but for one very special thing about Montessori for assessment is we learn to be observers so observation is huge as a Montessori teacher so you constantly observe students when they use materials when they talk to their friends when they work as a group so you observe them you observe if they're using the material correctly you observe if they actually understand what they are doing so it's constantly observing and you, we always constantly put down notes. So that's why that's one part of the assessment. And the other part is all the materials I think I mentioned before, they have the control of air. So the control of air is the, stu the material st student is able to self-correct their mistakes. So instead of the teacher will go and say, no, you didn't do it right. They realize, oh, I didn't do it right. And then, right, how, how am I going to fix it? So it's self-correcting from their end of point. It's really interesting because I have a student who is from Montessori program. And that student was correcting herself yeah. when presenting the first French presentation. How do they know that it's wrong? Because there's there's answer they can check. Oh, yeah. and it's in front of them. Yeah, right in front of them. Will they cheat and then you just... Know, that's an interesting question because I I have students, they learn in the harder way. I told them, okay, the answer is in front of you, but it's for you to check at, at the end. So, of course, some students, they, because they want the, the easy way, they want the quick method. They just copy down the, the, yeah, the answers. I do that. Yeah. <laughs> but they learn their hard lesson because usually, if when, for example, if I give them a math concept, the dynamic addition, uh, Four-digit dynamic addition up to the thousands. So they learn, like, I gave them a lesson, and they need to practice using different the cards and materials. And after they think they master the concept, kind of like a test, okay. but it's not really a test, but then I just write, randomly write the question. Okay, show me how to do it. Mm. So if they don't know how to do the question, 
And you'll know. Then you all know. And they learn in the hard way. They have to probably redo a lot of <laughs> cards again. So they learn. I'm not going to look at the question. I'm going to learn the concept really well. Yeah, I heard that about Montessori. They really teach you to learn. Yeah. And to love to learn. Yes. That they concept. They love to learn. They love to help each other out. So if a student says, oh, I don't remember how to do this, then there will be students popping on. I know. I can show you how. <laughs> yeah. And... Also, because the materials on the shelves, they are set up in a certain sequence. So then the students, once they master, once they have a lesson, they work on it, they master it, then they move on along that sequence. And the older students sometimes will come tell the younger one, you know, when you finish this, you can work on that. So it's a really interesting dynamic. So, you know, these are all elementary choice programs. Um, how about when they finish grade seven? What does that look like? And I guess a follow-up question to that is, especially for the languages, uh, how about English? Does their English fall behind because they're so focused on on the language? Uh, Melissa, we'll start with you. Well, because the Mandarin bilingual program is bilingual and not an immersion program, so we do make sure that they're, they are capable in both languages. So when they graduate in grade seven, they actually go to, for Norquay, the students go to Windermere. That's our catchment school that they go to. For Trudeau, they go to Eric Hamber. However, students at both schools can go to either secondary schools. How about, how about you, uh, Mary? Yeah, um, so... Uh, because Akpe, you know, is up until grade seven. So what do you what do you see happen after that when they enter their high school journey? Uh, is there a way for them to continue that indigenous focus program? Yeah, it's actually kind of cool. So a lot of our students end up going to Britannia. And the principal that's at Britannia right now was actually our principal before. So we have a lot of connections with that school and <clears throat> especially at different workshops. Like right now, we're part of a, an inquiry where we've kind of talked as joint schools how we can support our Indigenous students transitioning from our school to uh, Britannia. So a lot of that connective tissue stays yeah. um, and they kind of move along as a cohort. But it's still a choice for them to continue their journey together at Britannia. Yeah, there isn't necessarily like a specialized Indigenous program, but I know at Britannia, they have a, a strong Indigenous support team and they have a grooms and they have a lot of really cool opportunities for the students that I've heard about. So yeah, it's really special for them to, you know, go to a high school and still have that experience that they had at our school. Um, so and there are three different high schools in Vancouver for uh, French immersion. Um, so late French immersion students, as I already said, it's they join the early French immersion students in grade eight. So same level, same expectations. Um, and and Eva, yeah, there. What about the Montessori? Because I don't think there's a Montessori program. No, after, there's right? no Montessori program in high school. Yeah, but so far I heard a lot of uh, feedbacks from parents and from students who, are, who went, already went to high school. They came back visit and then they say, no, high school, no problem. There's they no problem, no problem with integration because I think one of the a few, there are a few reasons. I think because they are, they've been trained as a proactive learner. So they have to proactively look for things to do and do things in the classroom. And they learn their self-regulation. They learn how to pace. They learn how to manage their time. So that actually helped them a lot when they go to high school. That's great to hear that um, 
there there's really you haven't heard any challenges with uh, in reintegration into the mainstream classroom because I can just imagine it's a big change. Going into high school is already a big change for any grade seven going into grade eight student, and then having to uh, not be familiar with the learning environment, right? So it sounds like you really um, build them up for success and provide them with the soft skills needed to go into the jungle of high school. Um, I want to ask, what's your advice uh, to families who are trying to decide between programs? What are some factors they should consider? Um, because at the end of the day, programs we're talking about today, they're choice programs. They're not programs that, uh, you know, everyone has access to public education and they have the right to public education. But these are specialized program areas um, that families choose and they believe that their child would benefit from these different ways of learning. I think for Mandarin, I think for parents is what is the purpose of learning Mandarin for their child? Is it part of because it's their culture and they want to continue a part of their culture? Um, is it for them to give them an edge in the you know real world when they grow older for them to get a better job? So really, what is the purpose and what is the end goal for your child um, when they finish learning the Mandarin or when they finish in grade seven, when they finish high school? What is the end goal with you? Is it common that you hear from parents that I just want my child to learn a different language and, you know, I think it's important for them to speak Mandarin. It's uh, 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 definitely in Vancouver a predominant language. Um, Just to have that reason, is that enough of a reason? For a lot of parents, yes. (laughs) Um, I think for a lot of them, I think they just see the future of what the opportunities their child can have because they have another language. And with, you know... um, with Mandarin kind of being the new English a little bit, I think they just, they're really just thinking about the opportunities that their child will have in the future with having another language. Right, to, to widen their, their scope. So I would say for our school for families, considering um, our program versus another school for families who really, really think it's important and crucial for their family to learn more about, again, that identity piece and their culture, even though learning uh, first people's principles of learning and indigenous ways of being and doing is fortunately like incorporated into the regular curriculum right now. I would say our school really, really takes it a step, a few many steps beyond that. And it's really everything we do is through the lens of indigenous learning. And for families who really want to instill that in their children, our school is a great choice? For date French immersion can be different reason why they arrive there. For some students, it is the cultural background, like from France, from other parts of Canada. Uh, one of one member of their family speaks French. But usually it's going to be really like, are they really, really ready to commit? Mm. Like... Uh, for example, if you already plan like after school activities almost every single day of the week, if it's not during the weekend also, please avoid that. Mm-hmm. Please be ready to make um, um, that commitment. A, a, that commitment. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, because it's going to take time. It's 
uh, work at home. I'm not talking about homework only, but really work at home. You're going to hear French. You're going to see sticky note on your fringe, fridge to tell you this is called a refrigerator. You're going to see a sticky note on your door, like it's une porte and so on. It's going to be at home as parents. You might learn French as well a little bit. Uh, so it's really a commitment and it has to come and insist on that. It has to come from the check from the kid. Yes. Um, are they ready to go back to kindergarten for some part of it? Because they're going to read books, like make basically with just pictures and just a few words for the first few, um, weeks or months of the school year in grade six. Are they ready for that? Um, and the, the hardest part of late French is really, I would say like, right. September to eventually December, but mostly mid November of grade six to have their routine mm. and then it's going smoothly, but they have to be ready for having some help from families to the students. Yeah, that's a really good advice because um, I think when parents are deciding, you know, that that's not very, it's not very obvious. Like what are the choices, what I have to commit to as a family member, but you know, the kid needs to learn not only at school, but also at home and families. Um, it, it's nice for families to be there and help. Yeah, and it's, you don't have as a parent and insist, you don't have to speak French. You don't have to have a family member speaking French. Uh, what you, as a parent, what is important, it's okay. What are the resource to find videos in French, to find books in French, Vancouver public library or, uh, VSB, uh, school library. Yeah. Uh, it's many, many books in French. Um, and so all this and to encourage your, uh, child or children to do that part at home, it's really important. Or just ask your child to teach you what they've learned today at school, but you, they do it in English, it's fine. It's just the concept. Um, a side note then, or a question, side question, would you uh, say that goes the same for the regular French immersion? Like if they entered French immersion early on, that the parents need to be as involved um, when they're older? Or is it something that you could just let the teachers do their work? Um, and because many kids these days, they have lots of after school programs and they're filled with almost every single day. Like many parents feel like they're a chauffeur part time because they're just driving from one activity to the next. Right. Yeah. Um, usually when they're early French immersion, when the students, when they arrive in grade six, seven, they've learned so many times you have to read in French, you have to watch movies in French. Some of them, um, they just stop doing it. And so as parents, I think it's important to re-encourage them, like, let's go to the library and pick some books together. Um, oh, um, I have, I've seen like, there is this app with games in French. Have you tried that? And last thing is like, please remember, we have to learn many things. 
but the brain is working even when we are not working. So we have to have some quiet time and children, they have to be bored sometime to learn. They have to be creative. And if everything is planned in advance, they won't have the chance to be bored and to be creative because... Um, I just want to add, like, it is overwhelming for some kids to be learning so much. And for them, if if at home, I think just relax, have them enjoy what they enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will also help them enjoy school more, which will make them want to learn in school more. Because um, I'll be honest, I teach grade four and kindergarten, grade one, grade two, grade three, it's all songs and, you know, it's happy, happy games and all that. And then the grade four is like, okay, the writing starts and they're like, oh, so much writing. And, and, and so they actually lose interest in learning the Mandarin. And they sort of like, what's the purpose of me learning Mandarin right now? And so for us, it's like re- reinforcing that, you know what? Learning Mandarin is good for you. We teach them practical stuff so that it is meaningful. Yeah, 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 yeah. For Montessori, um, I think the one, one of the most important thing is that the parents, their own philosophy has to be aligned with the Montessori philosophy. And they have to be willing to learn with their child. Because you can see Montessori philosophy is really different. So, for example, if the parents, um, um, they do everything for their child, then because at school, we really foster independence, then there's a conflict and the child will be confused. Mm-hmm. Oh, my, my, at home, I don't have to do anything. Why do I have to do everything at school by myself? So there's a conflict of their, their understanding. And also one of the, the other thing is, um, I think some parents, they think, oh, Montessori, they are really advancing math and language and other things. Mm-hmm. It's true, but that's not the reason you sent your child to Montessori. Because in Montessori uh, education, we, we try to, to build a, a well-rounded child. Mm-hmm. And we, and, but then for their math and language and different things, it come with it. So that's not the, like, by having... It's, I don't, it's not just because their mass, you want their mass and language to be ahead, then you send them to Montessori. You want them to be well-rounded in all different areas and mass and language come with it. Sounds like it's not the focus of the result rather than the progress yeah. of how you get there. And then the result is the result. It's always the result, but then we focus on the progress. Right. And also um, for because we use materials a lot, and a lot of parents they assign their assign their kids um, their child to after school programs and for math for language, right. and that might have conflict with their understanding because what for for example for math after school activities, they don't use the Montessori materials and they learn the Montessori materials using at school. So, and then at, like, so when it's they a different way outside, of teaching, yeah, yeah it's or a different learning. way of teaching. And then they'll get confused right. so when they come back to school. So, no, I, I'm not using that way. I don't right. know how to do it anymore. So they, they got confused. So almost the whole family needs to come in. I mean, the the common theme I'm hearing is the advice for parents is if you're going to choose these programs, the family also needs to commit to choosing these programs, whether it's the Montessori philosophy, whether it's practicing more language, whether it's indigenous, having to talk more about the culture. You know, it's 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 a 
change in family, not just student lifestyle, but family lifestyle. And that is how you can help your child succeed. Yeah. And also one little thing to add is because we are the mixed age group. So we're grade, three grades together in one classroom. So some parents, they might not like that. They mm-hmm. want a single grade so everyone can do the same thing. Then that might not be the environment. Mm-hmm. Very, very um, good honest and frank advice for families to hear. And I think it's helpful for them to decide, you know, they may only hear one side of the benefits, but not understand what are the considerations uh, as they're choosing this potential change for this child. Um, I also want to touch on enrolling in these district choice programs because these are choice programs. um, You know, you apply for this in addition to your catchment school. And And um, some programs uh, definitely have uh, a a lot of subscribers, a lot of interest. And some programs, there's room for to include uh, enrollment or to have more enrollment in those programs. So every program is different. Um, Definitely, I would recommend go on to vsb.bc.ca for more information. Um, If you're in kindergarten and registering, uh, there is a choice program registration period after the priority kindergarten registration period ends um, in on January 31st, but also in January, I believe it's January 8th, that's when uh, choice program begins. So you can apply for that and anyone can get in, but it is a lottery system where you um, get chosen to attend the, the program. Uh, I want to thank everyone so much for their invaluable insights. And to our listeners, uh, I hope that this episode has illuminated the educational choices available to you and your children uh, at the Vancouver School Board. Thank you. We have a reoccurring segment on the show called Matter of the Month, where we talk about hot topics in the district. For this month, our focus is kindergarten registration. Doug Rock, district principal, joins us today to answer common questions about kindergarten registration. As I mentioned earlier in the show, priority kindergarten registration is from November to the end of January of the following year. If you have a child who is four and turning five in 2024, we encourage you to register your child for kindergarten during this time. Every child must register at their catchment school first before registering for a district choice program or to another school, otherwise known as cross-boundary application. So, Doug, can you walk our listeners through the registration process? Uh, For kindergarten registration, our priority registration period, as you said, opens uh, November 1st of this year and closes on January 31st. So that's the period when the school district gives first consideration for uh, kindergarten registration to families who live within a school's catchment area. So this is designed to ensure that local families have the best shot at attending their neighborhood school. So this process happens online and parents and guardians apply through our applynow.vsb.ca website. It's a two-step process. So families will first apply online. The school will then subsequently contact you for documentation. Every school does this process a little bit different. So you may receive an email or you may receive a phone call and they'll schedule an appointment with you. And you'll bring in a variety of documents that are required, such as ID or other documents that show where you live, that you're a part of that school catchment. 
There's also, uh, when you apply online, you will find that there is a, a list of various documentation and you can always ask the school if you have any questions about that. You can certainly contact the office. You'll have a chance to uh, go to the office in person and ask any questions that you might have. And again, you have until January 31st of 2024 for that priority registration window to apply online. And just to be clear, um, is it first come, first serve uh, when the registration opens on November or kind of it doesn't matter as long as you meet the deadline by January 31st? That's a great question, Jana. So it is not a first come, first serve process within that, that, that registration window, as you mentioned, is the November 1st to the end of January. What happens is families can apply um, and uh, they will all be considered equally for uh, the registration. Uh, we'll talk in a little bit about uh, should there be more applicants than space, but the key is to apply within that registration window. If a family does miss that window and applies February 1st onwards, they will be added to the bottom of the wait list in the order in which they apply. Uh, what about children who are born in November or December, kind of later in the year? Um, you know, they're often the youngest amongst their peers of that year. And we hear from parents uh, or get questions from parents about holding their kids back. Is that the right decision? Uh, can you help provide some tips to our listeners? That's a great question, Gianna. A strong majority of our uh, kindergarten students do attend a school in the year uh, in which uh, they, the majority of students apply. Um, there are some cases where a student may have what we call a kindergarten holdback. Uh, in this case, that can be for a variety of reasons. Uh, if a family has a question about kindergarten holdback, the first step would be for them to contact uh, their school principal or vice principal. So that would be calling or dropping by the school to schedule an appointment and discuss uh, a potential kindergarten hold back. Uh, and I would suggest if a family did want to have that conversation, doing that within the priority registration window. So is it a uh, joint decision between the school and the family to determine if their child should be held back or can it be solely a decision from the family? That would definitely be a joint conversation and the school has an important part of that. So, so it would be a conversation. Um, if you imagine a kindergarten class, look at any kindergarten class, you're going to see a variety of, of children um, who with different ages and uh, with various different talent skills and things that they're working on. So definitely a conversation that the parent uh, or guardian would want to have with the school if they're considering um, the possible holdback. Okay, how about um, choice programs? So earlier in this episode, we uh, invited many teachers from choice programs um, to talk about what their program offers. Uh, when can parents, if they're interested in a district choice pro program or even applying to another school that's outside of their catchment, when should parents uh, start registering for that? Right. So for our district, I'll talk first about our district choice programs. Um, we have several district choice programs uh, for kindergarten students. That includes early French immersion, Mandarin bilingual, Indigenous focus, Montessori, and fine arts. These programs are open for any students uh, who are entering kindergarten to apply. Now, there is a specific window that is a little bit different than our priority registration window that closes the end of January. So the, the window for that is uh, January 8th through February 2nd. And again, it's an 
an online process at our kchoice.vsb.bc.ca website. Students um, do need to have a registration in for uh, kindergarten at their catchment school first, and families will be given a PEN, which which stands for a, a provincial education number, which you will require to um, apply for any kindergarten choice program. So that's the step. First, apply for a kindergarten uh, catchment. Second, you would apply for your kindergarten choice program. Um, and then how about those who want to apply to another school, otherwise known as Cross Boundary? When does that registration begin? Yeah, so Cross Boundary School would be a, a school that is in a different catchment um, than the catchment in which uh, a child lives. And uh, there is a uh, February period for that. So that uh, application period opens February 1st and closes February 29th. And again, that is, is not a first come first serve process within that window. Families can apply at any time, uh, but must apply by that last day of February online to be considered for cross boundary. So with all these, all these dates, when would parents and families know exactly what school their child will be going into? So families should know by the end of April. So schools need to work to confirm their enrollment. Uh, many choice programs will offer uh, in a, their um, spot sooner. Uh, and then you can imagine that there's a little bit of movement between schools with students. So schools by the end of April are generally able to confirm their enrollment and offer spaces to kindergarten families who have applied during those priority registration windows that we spoke about. So uh, it seems like the registration period is quite long, like the application period from when you register could be as early as November, and then uh, you're not told until April. Why does it take the district so long to tell a family which school they're going to? Because I'm sure hitting this major milestone, there's a lot of anxiety and unknown. And, you know, that's just one more piece that you're waiting for um, to, to, to figure out what your child is, uh, where your child is going to be going to school? Well, it's a great question. We have, uh, for a kindergarten priority uh, registration for catchment, we uh, begin that process sooner than many other districts, in fact, and that's to give families the option to apply earlier and to uh, just be comfortable to know that they've made that application. Um, there are many factors that go into uh, our enrollment and, and where students go, um, and that includes, for example, our uh, working with uh, various district departments to know how many uh, kindergarten students we have enrolled, first of all, how many uh, kindergarten classrooms we're going to have across the district, um, and then working with all of our families to ensure that there is a spot for every student who's applied. So it does take a little bit of time, but uh, you can have our assurance that every student will have a spot to go for kindergarten for September. Quite a complicated process in terms of the back end and district staff working to uh, figure out where students should go. Because I also understand, you know, students and families, they also move to and move to different catchments, move out of the city. Um, so all that changes quite a bit, uh, not even till April, uh, not even just April, but up until September when the school year starts. So that's kind of the reason why it takes a little bit of time for things to settle and uh, figure out. But definitely district staff are working as fast as possible behind the scenes. You're right, Jana. We're working as quickly as we can and, and as detailed as we can, including working uh, oftentimes with individual families, uh, as I said, to make sure every student does have a spot for September. Okay, so um, I, I kind of want to pivot and ask a question uh, about capacity because we always hear about Vancouver schools being at capacity and not being able to accept catchment kids, forcing families to travel across the city every day for their child 
child to attend their school. Um, we see this in the news. We see this on social media. Can you explain why kids cannot go to their catchment school in Vancouver? The majority of schools can accommodate all of their catchment students, but as you mentioned, there are some schools that can't. Uh, out of our 89 elementary schools here in the VSB, we have 15 schools that are currently identified by the district as full schools for the 2024-2025 school year. Uh, and as an identified full school, this means over the past several years that these schools tend to have more applicants for kindergarten than they have physical space in the school that can accommodate these kindergarten applications as well as uh, the existing students in that school. We understand that this is unknown and it can cause some anxiety for parents. So for planning purposes, we post the identified full schools in advance so families can plan ahead. So there is a full list right now if parents would like to see on our govsb.ca slash kindergarten website. Um, so some students won't be able to get into their catchment school. Where will they be placed then? Well, it's important to know that all the students in the district will be placed in a school, even if you're an identified full school, or perhaps in the case where your catchment school has more applicants and available space. Uh, as a district, we do our best to place your child at the nearest school to your catchment school. So those students who are at an identified full school, they'll be notified uh, that their child is placed on a wait list by mid-February, and this will give you time to optionally apply cross-boundary to a non-catchment school. Also, keep in mind, applying to a choice program or cross-boundary is optional as, as a district will automatically place you at another school as close as possible to your catchment area. So then uh, what about a child who uh, may not have gotten into their catchment school? Let's say, for instance, in Elsie Roy, which is in Yaletown, and oftentimes they're placed at a nearby school, which is Strathcona. Um, so they go to Strathcona for kindergarten, but then in grade one, they really want to try and get back into Elsie Roy. Um, do parents have to reapply in grade one and how do they do that? Uh, and then also, what are the chances of them getting into their catchment school in grade one? If you are placed at another school uh, due to insufficient space at your catchment school, you will remain on a wait list. Your child will remain on a wait list uh, and that wait list does continue. So schools will contact you even into the next school year uh, to see if you would like to remain on that wait list. And the wait list uh, is in order and offers are made in order. And Please know that, you know, families are uh, moving in and out of schools quite regularly. Um, so those wait lists do have movement. Okay. And also from what I've seen over the past couple of years is many families, once they get into a school, they've kind of develop those bonds and the children have developed relationships with either their peers or with the teachers. And even if a spot comes up in their catchment school, many times families choose to stay in the school that their child is already familiar with and that surrounding them, they've built those connections. Um, but if I'm so bold to say that also I've seen many kids they are able to get into their catchment school um, sometimes around grade one. Uh, I would say generally around grade one, but uh, mostly by grade two. Uh, so your chances of getting in back into your catchment school uh, are definitely there. It's just a matter of potentially waiting a year or two. Is that fair to say, Doug? I think that's fair to say. Of course, it depends on the particular school and their circumstances with the families in the community and their enrollment. Um, but rest assured that your child will remain 
on that wait list. Uh, and you're absolutely right, Gianna. Some families, if an offer does come up at their catchment school later on, some families do choose to go to their catchment school and others do choose to stay at the school in which their children are currently attending. So priority kindergarten registration is really a key time because that kind of puts you in place of where you should be. Um, what can families do to improve their chances of getting into their catchment school? Well, I think the first thing, as you said, is definitely to make sure that those families have applied during the priority registration period. So again, that's November first th through uh, January thirty first. That's really important because. Uh, those students will have the first option to attend the catchment school. If there are more, if there happens to be more applicants in space, there is an electronic randomized draw that's held, but it is of those students that have applied within uh, those uh, that particular priority registration window. If a family, for example, applies February 1st onwards, that family, that child is then waitlisted in order uh, of application after all of the students who applied in the priority registration period. So again, making sure that you do apply within that priority registration window, that's number one. Uh, I would say as well, ensuring that all documentation is prepared and is given to the school. So that in other words, there's a complete application. So if there's any questions about documentation, uh, by all means, please do ask the school, but every family will be invited into the school with their documentation. So they'll work with families to ensure that all that documentation is in order. Yeah, I actually heard stories. A, a close friend of mine, uh, she was applying for their catchment and she did apply during priority registration. However, I think part of the documentation was not correct. Um, and so what ended up happening was she kind of got bumped to the bottom of the list because she ended up being outside of that reg priority registration period. So almost it's it's worth going into the school and double checking that the documentation is correct so you're within that priority registration period and earlier you mentioned that um, priority registration is randomized so it doesn't matter when you uh, apply as long as you apply before the deadline January 31st you're not your name could be drawn it's just out of a computer, it's randomized. There's no kind of uh, way of getting your name first. Uh, but after February 1st, which is outside the priority registration period, then your uh, wait, the waitlist number is as first come first serve basis. Um, so making sure you have all your ducks in, your in a row, uh, you know, crossing your T's, dotting your I's is really important for families. Absolutely. We do uh, We do have a sibling priority uh, for schools. Um, and then, uh, as you mentioned, Jana, a, uh, a randomized uh, computer draw that's, that, that is done. So let's talk about sibling priority. Like for, for parents, first time parents who are entering the school system, how does that work? So do the siblings have priority over new kindergartners coming into the school system? Yeah, so um, per our procedures, uh, there is sibling priority that's offered. And this I'm talking about for kindergarten. So for kindergarten, sibling priority for children. Uh, whereas at the time of application, there's currently a sibling also attending the same catchment school to which we're applying for K. At, who will also be attending the following year. That's a key. So at the time of kindergarten application, there's a sibling attending the same school and the following year, when the kindergarten student starts school, that sibling will still be attending the school. In that case, that child is uh, uh, eligible for our sibling priority. 
Do you have sibling priority if your child is going to a cross-boundary school? So they're not going to their catchment school, or maybe they've chosen to go to a choice program. Do uh, their younger brothers or sisters have priority to go into the school that's not in their catchment? Yeah, so for kindergarten, uh, for choice programs, yes, we do have that sibling priority. Um, we do as well for cross-boundary for kindergarten. However, knowing that cross-boundary, a cross-boundary sibling would not have priority over a catchment student. So that's a key. So the uh, si there would be sibling priority for kindergarten cross-boundary. Again, that's for our cross-boundary applications among those who've applied cross-boundary for kindergarten, but that would not be a priority over a catchment student who's applied. I see. Okay, so your chances of getting into cross-boundary, yes, it is higher, but it's you're not going to be placed higher than um, a catchment student who doesn't have a sibling in that out-of-catchment school. That's correct. That's correct, Jenna. Okay, those are, I think, really important tips and uh, information to know as parents are trying to decide where their child is going and if they have uh, uh, siblings and, you know, how that impacts. And I understand the district, like the whole reason for sibling priority is to make it easier for parents because we know dropping kids in two different locations is very tough. I mean, it's tough enough to get your kids on time to school anyways. So having to do that at two different locations is tough. And that's why there's that sibling priority to make it easier on families to do one drop-off location. Let's pivot to preparing kindergartens for school. This is a big milestone year and many families, especially parents who have a child entering kindergarten for the first time, don't really know what to expect or how to prepare their child. As an educator, Doug, um, who was a principal at a school for many years, can you give us some tips uh, so parents uh, can help get their child prepared for school? Definitely, Jana. Kindergarten is a really exciting time. I know parents are really excited. Kids are really excited. And there could be a little bit of anxiety as well coming to school for the first time. And there's certainly definitely some tips that 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 are helpful. Um, a few things to think about. Uh, it's ideal if the child has, to the best of their ability, um, being able to use the washroom as independently as possible. And I know that that varies from child to child. But uh, working, if you imagine, some kindergarten classrooms have washrooms in the classroom. Some have washrooms nearby. Uh, and our kindergarten classes have up to 20 students. So it is ideal for children to be as independent as possible, considering their developmental age. Um, nap time, that's a big one. I know in many, uh, many preschools and sometimes at home, young children have naps and there tends not to be that nap time at school. So that's something that the, that the children will get used to. And I'd encourage families to uh, begin practicing not having nap time if that's a part of their routine. A few other areas as well, building literacy skills in English or in another home language or multiple language, that's important. So reading with your child is recommended. Sometimes parents say to me, uh, well, I haven't read with my child. We haven't done any reading uh, and this child is starting kindergarten. I always say, no problem, you can start today. But definitely building those literacy skills through reading in English or your home language or more than one language is helpful. I'd also recommend opportunities to play with other children, uh, whether that's one-on-one -on -one or in small groups. Uh, and this play develops skills such as taking turns, sharing, making kind choices. These are all skills that will be developed in kindergarten, which is a play-based program. There is, of course, literacy, uh, numeracy, and lots of great learning, but a lot, a lot of that is through play. Uh, but uh, have children being able to have the opportunity to develop that prior to kindergarten is definitely helpful. So playing with others is great. I'd suggest as well, um, 
providing your children with some structured routines. So in a kindergarten class, children will have snack times, they'll have play times, they'll have reading times, uh, and there'll be many structured routines and, and timeframes during the day. And families can work with their own children uh, by providing or starting to provide some of these structured routines at home just to get the kids ready for that. Okay, so those are great tips, you know, getting them potty trained, um, making sure that they're used to no naps, reading, um, providing some structure through their day. These are kind of the tips that uh, parents can do before September rolls around and just get them into a bit of a routine. So because it's already a new environment, you want to try and give them as much stability as possible. Um, What if you know, your child is uh, not used to this environment, what if they don't do well? Like what if there's anxiety maybe on the parent side and the child side? Uh, What does the school do to help with that transition into kindergarten? Yeah, well, we know that all of our all of our students coming into K are special. They're unique and they're amazing learners in their ways. Uh, and our kindergarten teachers uh, and school staff are phenomenal at working with the individual needs of students and working with families. Uh, so, if you were to come into a kindergarten class, you'll see uh, many, many different students with amazing, unique talents, unique needs, and and unique strengths and skills. Um, and our staff is very well trained and very much experienced in working with a wide range of children. Um, What about uh, gradual entry? I went through this myself, so I know that there is gradual entry. But, you know, before going through this, I didn't realize that there are there is gradual entry and kind of parents have to plan for that, especially if they're working full time. Can you explain to listeners what does that look like for kindergartners? So kindergarten is a little bit different in terms of the first day of school than for children in grades one and up. So for kindergarten, we do what's called a gradual entry, and that happens over the first week and a half roughly of school. There is slight variation from school to school, uh, and children will uh, generally... And again, it is school dependent, so it will look a little bit different. But generally speaking, um, we'll come to school for a shorter amount of time each day. They may come to school every other day, depending on a schedule. Um, and the idea is that they're they're gradually being introduced to the program, being introduced to their peers, uh, and usually with a smaller peer group than the full class. And eventually students come together, right? And that's a great opportunity for the children to become comfortable in the school, for the kindergarten teachers uh, and school staff to get to know the kids and also to practice some of those beginning school routines. So when you before you start school, you'll you'll receive information from the school regarding gradual entry schedule, and it may be different. There may be several schedules um, uh, for different groups on, in the school depending on the number of kindergarten students, uh, and you'll receive that that schedule. Uh, and of course, you can ask the school any questions about that that you have. Um, but experience. Uh, Uh, Experience tells us that it's a great thing and it's really helpful for getting the kids and families ready for school. Okay, so this is really good to know because if you're working, um, just know even though the first day of school is on, let's say, September 5th, you know, early in September, uh, the day after Labor Day, um, expect to take some time for another week, maybe two weeks, depending on the school schedule, that there will be days that your kid does not go to school or that they only go to school for an hour or two. You know, it, it really depends. But by the third week of September, they should be fully in uh, going to school. Um, but just buffer that time for, you know, as you're planning your family for, for September. Absolutely. And schools will give as much notice as possible. And uh, these are questions, of course, you're more than welcome to ask 
the school, including during uh, our Welcome to Kindergarten events. Right. There's going to be a Welcome to Kindergarten event. So you get to see, uh, meet the teacher and then see the other parents who are going to uh, be bringing their children to your school. Yeah, exactly. Our Welcome to Kindergarten events happen uh, in the spring, usually in May uh, or June, depending on the school. And that's an opportunity for uh, parents and guardians to bring their kids into the school for a period of time, meet some of the, the teachers and staff, um, and also get a sense of, of what kindergarten is all about. So this helps uh, the kids to get a sense of the school uh, and also for parents to meet the staff and to be able to ask some questions. I've seen some pretty amazing Welcome to Kindergarten events where the kids, you know, they do some activities, the parents get to talk and meet uh, others in the community, and uh, kiddos usually get to bring home kind of a goodie bag that um, starts them off for kindergarten. Um, and speaking of kind of supplies, how about school supplies? What should parents get in advance, like kind of that back-to-school shopping? What do you recommend? Yeah, so uh, many schools will give parents, and Welcome to Kindergarten is a great opportunity to hear from your specific school about uh, their recommendation for items your, your children would bring to school. But definitely things like having a backpack is 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 a good first step. And uh, most schools will ask for a couple pairs of shoes, an indoor pair of shoes, an outdoor pair of shoes, um, and uh, clothing that's good for the, the various different types of weather we have here in Vancouver for sure is helpful. Um, you will find that there's a 35 school fee and this is for all of our elementary students kindergarten all the way through grade seven and that's a fee that 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 uh, um, is charged each year uh, and for the most part that covers certain items that this that the child will use in the school um, so that $35 fee covers pencils papers you know all those kind of smaller things um, parents don't need to worry about what you're saying is get a backpack um, maybe an indoor pair of shoes uh, for gym time, um, uh, rain boots, because, you know, we live in Vancouver and Muddy Buddy, uh, um, just to have that on hand. But really majority of the school uh, supplies are covered through this $35 school fee. That, that's exactly right. And, you know, certain classes in certain schools may uh, ask for other items. And that's information you'll get either through Welcome to Kindergarten or through communication and conversation with the school directly. Okay. Um, what if families can't afford to buy those things? What can they do? We want to make sure that all of our students and all of our families have access to what they need to have success in school. Um, I would say if any families, you know, uh, that's that fee is going to be a challenge for them. Um, certainly having a conversation with your school principal or with, with your kindergarten teacher, um, I would absolutely encourage that. We'll, we'll make sure that students have what they need for success. So to wrap up, kindergarten registration is really a pivotal step for your child's education journey. We learned from Doug today that the key is to be informed, prepared, and proactive. For more information, visit govsb.ca slash kindergarten or contact your catchment school directly. Really, we encourage you to speak to your principal, speak to your uh, teacher. And if you don't know who that is, just go into the school office. You know, we have um, staff there. Uh, during school hours from 9 to 3 and they're happy to greet you and either book you in for an appointment or give you the contact details. Thank you, Doug, so much for joining us today. Um, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in to VSB After the Bell. Thank you, Gianna, and uh, all the best uh, for the first days of kindergarten.
Special thanks to music teacher Mr. Bonnell and Nightingale Elementary students for the original theme song. Episodes will be released monthly. Tune in at the end of the month and don't forget to subscribe to VSB After the Bell on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. After the bell, listen to VSB.